Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, coming up in this hour, got some uh, basketball for you with Steve Cleveland, and we've got uh, some golf with Bob Casper. When you think about it, this is what this week should have been. Jim Nance calling the NCAA title game Monday night, getting on a plane and flying to Augusta, and the Masters Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. ESPN to have the Par 3 tournament on Wednesday. It's just uh, back-to-back, and it would have been crazy, and it would have been great. Those would have been the two big stories. The thing that happens with the uh, basketball is they have the coaches' convention there, they get the Final Four, and then pretty quickly the uh, gate goes up, the recruiting uh, blackout period ends, and it's go time for college basketball coaches. Once the Final Four ends, everything looks forward to, okay, have we got the coach and the staff in place, and are they ready to go recruit? So we've already seen that the coaching carousel never really started up. This was a good year to be a coach with a bad team that disappointed everyone because they're giving you a pass anyway. <laughs> so nobody's turning over there. The whole recruiting thing's really interesting because you're just not seeing guys play. And are and I think there's multiple questions that coaches have to answer now that are that's hard to answer. Who's improving? And I should reevaluate this guy and go get him because this guy, you know, uh, kids are still growing at this age and kids are improving. And man, if you're two inches taller and half a step faster and you shoot it better, all righty then, look out. And on the other hand, uh, who's not working out? Who's, uh, who's not improving? You know, that's a little risky too. Um, and, and how do you figure all that out? And so we start, talk with Steve Cleveland about that coming up in the, uh, the next segment. And then you got golf. Rescheduling. It started breaking Sunday, and it was breaking Monday during our show about the PGA coming out with new dates for August at Harding Park for the PGA Championship, which historically has been in August, but was moved to May partly to create room for the Olympics and partly to create room for the new uh, the Olympics. Obviously, there'll only be a conflict every four years, uh, but also to create room for the playoff and to avoid the NFL, and also to fill a hole in the golf schedule. Quite frankly, now in a in a quote unquote normal year. We would have uh, the Players' Championship in March, and then we'd have the Masters in April, the PGA in May, the U.S. Open in June, the British Open in July, and then the playoff and the Tour Championship uh, in August into the Ryder Cup in September, and you're done as the NFL gets going in September and college football takes over. So golf really aligning its schedule to take advantage of uh, the weather and no football. And, And now, guess what? Everything new is old again, and everything old is new again. Moving the PGA back to August at Harding Park, and we'll have Bob on about how they're uh, canceling the British, uh, trying to put the U.S. Open in September, and the Masters in November. And what does Augusta look like in November anyway? You know, Augusta is so special, and it's so elite, and they play the one tournament there, and the course is closed for a big chunk of the year. And uh, I've always thought that it would be really cool if Augusta was the home of um, either uh, the Masters uh, for women, the NCAA championship. There isn't a Masters for women, but if they created one, an NCAA championship or a U.S. amateur. Um, 
But that's just not the way Augusta works and the way Augusta thinks. I'm totally going against the grain. But man, if there were another tournament at Augusta in the fall, I would watch it, whatever it was. <laughs> I would absolutely watch it. The other thing Bob brings up, we didn't really have time to get into this, but I think it's something uh, worth mentioning. He talks about uh, shuffling the U.S. Open locations, possibly, and Bob will do a better job of explaining that than I can. Um, and he'll do that uh, coming up here later this hour when we have him on. But I read a thing, and we'll have to get Bob on a different time to talk about this, but I read an interesting story proposing that Pebble Beach should be the permanent home of the PGA Tour Championship. Now, it's been in Atlanta forever, but that time of year, Atlanta is hot and humid. And that brings up the risk of thunderstorms and delays. Pebble, you go there in the spring, and you never know what you're going to get for weather. It can be glorious. It can be cold. It can be raining. It can be windy. The best weather in the Bay Area, and I don't want to get into, you know, (laughs) why, but... Um, just because of the Central Valley and the way it works with the fog and everything and the heat in the valley. The fall in the Bay Area and down onto the Monterey Peninsula is like summer everywhere else. It is far and away the best weather. The fall weather is actually better than the summer weather. And so to move the PGA Tour Championship there, and when you go to the West Coast, you have a chance to play late in the day and play into prime time in the East to get the biggest TV ratings and make the most money. So that thing's got to be moved, and we would see Pebble at its best. And I think there are two golf courses in America that I will turn on regardless. If you play a U.S. Amateur at Pebble, I'm going to watch it. If you play an NCAA Championship at Pebble, I'm probably going to watch it. If they had some type of women's major at Pebble every year, I'm probably going to watch it. I just think a major event uh, like the PGA Tour Championship, which isn't, okay, I shouldn't use the word major because it's not a major championship, but a big event, a tournament that's got the best names in the sport in the fall at Pebble, I just don't think you can go wrong. I don't think you can go wrong. I think it'd be awesome. It's time to showcase those that are helping all of us through these difficult times. This is a partner profile on the Zone Sports Network. Ned Siegfried joining us from Siegfried and Jensen. And Ned, I, I assume lawyers are like everyone else. They're still working, but now they're working from home quite a bit more. Am I right? That's exactly right, uh, David. We, we have probably... Uh, Two-thirds to three-fourths of our people are working remotely. Uh, a few of us come into the office, like myself, and the vast majority of our office is either working remotely full-time or uh, a few of the staff come in in the morning and uh, they, uh, we have a shift changeover and uh, then a, a few more of the staff come in in the afternoon just to kind of keep the basic functions of the office going forward. Don't you do a lot of your work on the phone anyway? Uh, you know, quite a bit of it, you know, the, keeping in touch with clients and so on and so forth. We've, we've got it set up so that uh, our receptionist can actually, we've got all our calls uh, forwarded so that uh, if a person is not in the office, after about five seconds, it starts ringing to their cell phone. And, uh, and then if they don't pick it up on their cell phone in about 15 more seconds, then it goes to their voicemail. So uh, we're able to answer all the phone calls remotely uh, and transfer them to people uh, at their homes. And uh, so we, we feel like in the three, four weeks we've been doing this, we've got most of the bugs out and, and are able to, uh, if need be, 
if we were to if the state were to go on lockdown we could uh, we could take everything remotely if, if necessary so we've uh, we all watch sports Ned so we've all seen your ads and usually in the ad there's a shot of a couple potential clients sitting with the lawyers and you're talking about the process the first time you come in so that one meeting is usually face to face how do you handle that now well um, we can do that over the phone as well we can uh, we can uh, take all the information from the potential client over the phone we can do uh, just like you've we've probably all done uh, uh, signed mortgage papers electronically we've got all of our of our uh, intake or new client documents uh, fee agreements HIPAA forms etc cetera, etc cetera. they can all be signed electronically uh, by just sending the those documents out to the potential client in their home we've even uh, got it set up so we can do a remote notary uh, which is really kind of a new piece that that we've uh, kind of been forced to find out about and, and uh, implement just this last month so we don't have to meet with the client at all in person we can keep track you know keep in good touch with them over the phone through um you know, email through text, uh, and so uh, really, we can we can pr- continue to provide the same level of service to a client, even uh, in spite of not being able to do the face to face anymore. At least until this this uh, scare goes away. Everybody knows you and your partner are big sports fans. How much are you missing sports? Oh, it's horrible. I. I guess you just don't realize what a big part of of our live sports is until it's all taken away. And it's, you know, we move from season to season, from football to basketball to baseball and golf and so on and so forth. But to have the plug pulled on all of it at one time, I've, I've never gone off drugs or heroin that uh, it would probably be something like this, you know, with absolutely no medication to, to help uh, take the pain away. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of funny. I was kidding my son, and uh, last night he's all hyped up about watching this Y2K, uh, you know, with Donovan Mitchell and everybody. And I guess that's uh, that's some minimal relief to maybe, uh, you know, a, a millennial or a video gamer, but it doesn't give me much relief. I'm just, I'm just on edge, so to speak, waiting for the sports seasons to come back. Well, Ned, we appreciate uh, your support at Channel 2 and here at uh, The Zone and, and probably at several other media outlets across town as well. Where do people find you if you, uh, if, you if they need your help? Just the same as always. Uh, the phone numbers or the uh, SiegfriedJensen.com website. So we're, we're literally, uh, DJ, we're just as easy to get in touch with as we've ever been. So just the same old ways we obviously alluded to. We spend uh, enough money supporting uh, uh, various TV stations, radio stations, and uh, to get our our uh, message out there. So just get in touch with with us the same old way. All right, there it is, SiegfriedandJensen.com. And I hope you're tracking Mitch's phone so you know he's putting in uh, 40 hours a week just like you are, you know, nose to the grindstone now. Of course, he's probably tracking your phone too, huh? 
Yeah, I imagine. Try to keep an eye on each other. Yeah, I thought so. All right, Ned. Okay, see you guys. All right, thanks, Ned. All right, Ned Siegfried joining us here. Siegfried and Jensen. You can find him online at SiegfriedandJensen.com. Coming up next, our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. And we are joined right now by our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, he joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint, making it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, there was a hilarious conversation last week after the show when Jake told me that you said, well, yeah, come on, but what are we going to talk about? (laughs) And for whatever reason, the way he said it just broke me up. And the thing is, I had a couple things I knew I wanted to talk to you about last week, but when you dropped that Austin Ainge scouting story and going into the analytics and the eye and then reducing everything to just a number, but then him watching and seeing individual things in the game that had to be fixed, that was fascinating. We don't get that out of coaches or ex-coaches. They don't usually talk about that kind of stuff. And if there had been games, that story probably still wouldn't have come up. So we've just got to randomly talk to you because we don't know what you're going to blurt out that we find fascinating. Well, yeah, I guess you spent 40 years doing something, 38 years doing something. You've had a lot of experience, and some of them really embarrassing, some of them really good, and some of them not so good. But, uh, yeah, there's usually a story applied to something. So, no, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, hopefully we can find something to talk about today. I got a bunch of stuff that I wanted to talk to you about that I didn't get to you uh, last week. And one of it is the situation with the college coaches now with the recruiting. You know, we had on Mark Pope, and he was talking about how obviously he's never offered a scholarship to anybody without seeing them in person. And recruiting has to be done right now, but it's being done under circumstances that most likely no coach has ever really done it in the manner that they're doing it now. If you're recruiting in today's world, not being able to go out, and we're not having these spring and probably maybe not even these summer tournaments that we have in Vegas and Atlanta and New Jersey and all these places, how are you going to be able to approach recruiting, or how would you approach recruiting to make sure, because at some point the season's going to go on and you're going to be held accountable for winning games? Well, I think it'd be a lot easier today to do it than it would have been when I was coaching, just because there's because of technology and you know whether it's synergy or whatever yet you know organization that collects uh, data and video for uh, high school, college basketball, NBA, everything. So I think there's access. I think the first, your starting point is you know personal references, talking to coaches, talking to their summer coaches. Uh, talking to you know opposing teams, coaches, 
you know, just to get their sense and a feel for the, the young man, if in fact you'd never seen him play. And, and then you'd want to get film. And, and it, it, it does make a difference to see somebody in person. Uh, you can see how they react in certain situations, and sometimes film doesn't uh, depict that. But that, that would be the starting point for me. And I think that, you know, the way the NBA does it, and dealing with enough, enough guys that the NBA looked at and had conversations with assistant coaches and GMs and so forth, uh, they, you know, you, you want to get into the intangibles as well, and you're not going to pick that up on film. You know, what kind of person are they? And uh, what, are the, what are the qualities and character traits of this guy and, and on the floor, off the floor, those kinds of things? Uh, you know, you, you don't want to get surprised. I mean, I, as a junior college coach, um, you know, sometimes you just had to take the word of somebody. And it, you know, it was late. It was June, July, August. You're trying to pick up a guy or two. And his numbers are great. And then you get him in and you realize, whoa, this is not a real good person. <laughs> and uh, we're going to have to have some character changes here or they're not going to be able to survive. So I, I think today you, you can get a lot of those character, the intangible reports from people that have watched them, but you got to get on the phone and you're, you know, you're texting and doing things of that nature uh, and then rely a lot on film. And, uh, you know, sometimes not everybody wants to come to your school. <laughs> and so it's a matter of convincing somebody that this is a really good place for you to be. It's always easy to do that when – you know, you don't have someone or two, you know, the, the depth chart isn't two or three. The guy's a, a three-man, he's a wing, and that's his position. You know, you gotta, you got to be honest. Uh, it's, you know, one, I think one of the mistakes that a lot of college coaches make that I saw during my time is uh, they, they recruited more than they needed. And I think they feel like, hey, I'm going to stockpile as many guys as I can. We'll get rid of them. Well, all of a sudden, that started being a, really a negative thing and impacting you with the APR, and all of a sudden you couldn't just get rid of guys. And when you have guys that aren't happy and they're, they're, they're not, they quit going to school, when they quit going to school, that impacts APR, and ultimately down the road it impacts scholarships and all the other things that come with it. So uh, I, I think there are multiple resources to, to get the intangibles as well as the guys. I mean, it's always fun to go watch them play and to see them in the heat of the moment and how they respond. But you, you can do a pretty good job of that. And uh, and that may be what they're up against here, to at least with this recruiting class. Younger guys, I don't think it matters right now because they've already been out and seen all the younger guys. But they do get better, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that falls out. But I, I think there's lots of ways, lots of resources that they have. It is just gonna. It looks different than it did uh, a year, twelve months ago. Yeah, I'm really curious here if we're going to find out that uh, this is really going to separate the really good talent evaluators and recruiters from the people who are kind of average, or if it's going to, because we're not going to know who's improving, if there's going to be a potluck random element to it, and and people are going to get lucky and unlucky with guys because they're things you can't know, how, how do you think this plays out with this class? Well, I think this class will be different in, in, in that sense, and, and probably uh, the impact will be there will probably be some mistakes made if they can't have access to them all summer and they have to make decisions on late signatures, you know, late signings, that uh, it, it'll be a little bit dicey. And, uh, but I, I, think, I, th- I think it would really impact them more if this thing went on for another seven, eight, nine months. Then now, now you're looking more at the unknown. I think most everybody that they've watched – uh, and seen and transfers and so forth, they got a pretty good idea. I mean, you're, 
typically a college coach. I mean, I, I mean, I speak. I've been at different places, but I mean at BYU, you're watching kids. You know, you're you're talking about kids that are young now that you're watching and realizing that they may not come play for you for four or five years, and so that 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 you throw that into the equation of recruiting, and it can be really challenging. And you can make some mistakes, and everybody makes mistakes. They may not like to admit it, but it's a situation that everybody makes mistakes. The key is make as few mistakes as you can. And I think sometimes coaches get caught up in finding the best player for their team, the most athletic, maybe the most talented, but really what they needed is, is a specific role. And, and even though this guy may have been an overall complete player, there's somebody else that you know really can de- defend and can and really bounce it and attack and whatever the needs you have. But I, I think you, you eliminate a lot of mistakes by recruiting young men that are good fits for your program and in your institution and, and, the, guy, and the chemistry of the guys. Sometimes you bring in a really, really A-type personality when you already have a team of them, and it, it, could, be, it could backfire because – when guy, you know, and I, I've coached teams. I mean, I, I remember coaching at Fresno City College, and I brought a young man by the name of Ron Solis to BYU with me. He was there a year with me. He was from Oakland, and uh, he, he was a great player. And, and when he played, he was an A-type personality. And I, I got him because I knew he was a really good player. It, it was so hard for me to get him to play with Ray Alston, who was a longtime NBA guy. And it took a lot of time, and it was worth it. But looking back on it, there, there were so many challenges and issues, and I didn't consider that. I was a young coach, and I just, just give me the best players I can get. I'll figure it out, you know, which is not a bad philosophy, but I, I think when you get to the, the highest level of college and college basketball, uh, <laughs> this is a transparent world, and that can cause more grief and more issues when you're constantly dealing with character issues in a, in a in an environment where they they get to see everything and uh, and that what that does not that you can't manage it it's just a lot more stress for the coach. <laughs> yeah, not just the stress because I think the thing that you're saying that's been the number one issue Utah's program and why they haven't been in the NCAA tournament in four years is because of that very thing they've brought in some guys and we had Larry on last week. And then he's talking about some guys weren't good fits, and then they end up leaving. And now the, with the transfer portal, it's so much easier to go out. And that's why they end up this year with having virtually no upperclassmen because they had a couple other, some two or three other guys who would have been at this point and would have been the leaders, but they weren't good fits. And it's going back to what you're saying about having this character, having the right fit for your team. And so it seems like since you're not able to be out on the road recruiting, obviously the way you did and are used to doing it, that this time around you should make absolutely darn sure you're getting the right kind of kid into your program because you have more time now to research. So in my mind, there's really no excuse for that. And I think that, and my thought for you is that you think that that will be something that coaches will really hammer in on this year to make sure that they're not bringing in guys who have talent, obviously, but aren't the right fits. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the thing that's going to happen more now than ever is that you, know, you, you, may, you may develop a series of questions and uh, circumstances 
that you're on the phone or you're, you know, you're FaceTiming or Zooming or whatever, however they're going to do it these days where they can, they can see them face to face. Because, you know, talking to a young man or a young woman on the phone is different than, you know, I, I'd really want, I want to face, I'm going to FaceTime you. If, if that's legal, I don't even know what's legal, not legal nowadays, but, or, or get them in Zoom and bring them in and have a conversation, have a series of questions and scenarios. And, but I, I think the main thing is that when a head coach and a player understand the role that they can, you know, a lot of coaches don't want to talk about a role of a player because he's really talented. And even though he doesn't shoot the three really well, you're, you're, you believe as a coach, I can develop that in him and so forth. When you have three or four guys that are just great shooters and know that if he doesn't learn how to shoot it in the first 12 to 18 months, he's probably not going to be on our program, but the, the guy brings so much else to the table. I think that if I were doing this, my, my assessment of young people would be really transparent. I, I would have conversations. We would talk face-to-face through the phone. And what are you looking for? Here, let talk, let's talk about our personnel. Let's talk about where we see you. And mind you, it's not a perfect world. And I, I have brought people into a program thinking that they would be more patient than they would or that their parents would be more patient or their high school coach would be more patient. And sometimes coaches make a real big mistake in offering them the world, this is going to be this and this and this, and then you figure it out when they, once they get there. And I don't think you can do that anymore. I, I think and if you do, you're not going to be in the job very long. And so it's one of those things that I think you can do, still do and be really creative through FaceTime or uh, Zoom or something of that nature where you have a series of questions that you ask them. And, and first and foremost, tell me what you think your strengths are. Tell me what your weaknesses are. What do you expect us to do to, to help you to get better? What are your expectations? And I think when guys are recruiting, you know, I, again, I can just go from the time, and maybe things have changed in the last seven or eight years. Maybe, maybe they do it differently, but it seemed to me that we'd lay out the whole world for a kid we wanted. We wanted to meet the best people on campus, the most influential. We want to have a great visit. We want to show them the wonderful facilities we have. Everything is about trying to entice them to come, and we miss sometimes on taking the opportunity to finding out what they want. And I, and I, and I think with millennials that, that have been recruited and that kind of mindset, Generation X and so forth, it's kind of a situation where they, this is a group that wants feedback. They want to be inspired. They, those are things that they want. And if you don't understand that when they get on your campus and your personalities don't connect or you don't have staff members whose personalities connect, that kid's not going to stay. And he's not going to be he's not going to be able to perform at his best. So I think there's a lot more involved in the intangibles today when you know every one of your guys knows that if it doesn't go well. I'm just leaving. That, that, I mean, they, that's the money. I don't think most kids used to, when they sign, they're excited and da-da-da-da. Now that happens, and if things aren't going right, they're like, yeah, I'm, tra- I'm transferring. And so you really got to do your due diligence so guys aren't coming and leaving. And as Coach Tay said, you know what, if you don't get guys that are the right fit, you're going you're gonna to make mistakes, man. Nobody's perfect. And you know what? Some kids get better quicker than others. And you, you on paper, you're going, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I see uh, – John, as a guy that, that's going to really play some, some minutes, he'll be in our top eight. And then uh, Terry over here, who 
Uh, he's probably a year away. He has an amazing summer. He comes out and he kicks John's butt every day. You, you, you got to play him. And all of a sudden now we have a conflict. And you somehow you try to figure out how to keep him. And so you do have to manage that. And I know at BYU managing it, it was crazy because you got him coming off missions. You got him redshirting. You get, got him going on missions and then coming back. Uh, so the dynamics there were way different than any other place. But I, I think Coach K is right. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I was with Coach K a little bit last fall in a, in a setting where I was around his team. And I love the guys he has right now, the character of them and so forth. And I think they all knew as a coaching staff that this would not be an easy year. You just, when you find that out, when you have a lot of young guys or have guys that are hurt or whatever the circumstances are, when you get to the, the, the most difficult time of the season, sometimes those guys aren't quite ready for that moment. And I think the guys that he has in his program, if they stay and they're there, you know, the, the core of that group with the guys they're bringing in, then I think they turn it around next year. I, I had a chance to kind of meet them individually and some of the players and felt like there was something there. And, uh, but there's no question, the last couple of years were challenging, but uh, I, I think in my mind, my gut says that they have the character type of guys and the talent enough next year in the Pac-12 to, to be a force because of the – they're going to get some shooting. and they, they, They've really lacked having perimeter shooting. They need it bad. And uh, I think some of the young guys, they did well. But that's not the expectation at the University of Utah. We know that. And uh, they expect you to be at the tournament and competing for championships. So, But I think they do have a core group that could, uh, could turn a corner. We'll see. Steve, as always, we appreciate a little bit of time to talk some hoops. Thanks a lot, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. See you. There's Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. When we come back, Bob Casper sorting out the revamped PGA. Could we have a live PGA Tour and PGA Championship? Could we have a live sports event in August? Yes, please. I'll take it. That's next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. All right, the news has been breaking. You've probably been reading more about it, but uh, late Sunday night, the San Francisco Chronicle and then Golf Digest and the Golf Channel started getting sources telling them, hey, the PGA Championship is going to be rescheduled for early August at Harding Park in the San Francisco uh, Bay Area there. Uh, actually, it's in the city proper. Um, there was more reporting on that than the PGA came out with multiple dates. Not a whole PGA Tour calendar, but multiple dates for major events like the Ryder Cup and three of the major championships. So we got Bob Casper on late in the show to explain what's going on and what Augusta might look like in November. Here's Bob Casper with PKNI. Bob, good morning. Hey, how you guys doing? We are doing well, Bob. So uh, the news started breaking uh, Sunday night, I guess, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, that the, uh, the PGA Championship could be on at Harding Park, the PGA coming up with a revised tour schedule. Before we yep. get into all the specifics, you know, it seems like we're told something 
and, but you can't really trust anything here more than a couple weeks out because everything is changing. And the, the people who yeah, are most educated on this, people who've studied you know, epidemics their whole life, say the virus makes the timetable. So with what we're about to talk about, you know, I give people the right to change their mind as they get new information. That's better than, I've got right. new information, but never mind, I'm sticking to my old opinion. I don't really like that. <laughs> so, so what level of confidence should we have that even if this sounds like a good idea now, it will actually be a good idea to go ahead and play golf in August, and uh, we'd have at least something back on TV, uh, you know, some kind of sports and some slight return to something that w- resembles normal. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, everything's fluid. That's what we. That's one thing that we know that's happening right now uh, is the fluidity of of things that are changing. The models are changing with the epidemic, the pandemic, every. You know, every day, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, the PGA Tour, um, it's interesting. Their their goal right now is to begin again uh, playing in mid-June. But, you know, what? We, we, we know that that could possibly not happen at all. Um, so the, another interesting thing is, guess where I should be talking for, to you right now from? Augusta. Augusta, Augusta National and, and getting ready for the Masters. Uh, our plan was last week on on uh, Friday to fly out to um, Georgia to the, to the masters there in Augusta, Georgia and, and see the final round of the women's um, you know, the women's amateur event that they hold there, the Augusta national women's amateur. And we were going to see that. And we were going to see that on Saturday. We were going to see the drive chip and putt on Sunday, which, which has been canceled for the year. And, um, and then we were going to be at the masters this week. Now it looks like, that the Masters is being moved to uh, the week of the 9th of November. The 12th through the 5th of November is the tournament days. So that's been that's been pushed back um, because they decided not to cancel the event. They decided to um, to postpone the event. And that week works out with, with the tours. The interesting thing is, is all these governing bodies, they all kind of intermingle a little bit. The RNA, the USGA, um, the uh, the mass the masters um, all they they have been on the phone every single day talking with each other kind of seeing projections of where things are going to go that kind of thing and uh, the PGA Championship now because of the the Olympics being canceled the PGA Championship looks like they're going to move to that date of August sixth through ninth at Harding Park in San Francisco um, at least for now that's what they're scheduled for. So in light of all the issues with the social distancing and the safety concerns that we have, how much concern would there be to put on a golf tournament without any fans? Because how many folks need to be involved in just staging a, a, a singular golf tournament, whether it's a major or not? Well, you know, that's why they, they um, ended up canceling the remainder of the Players' Championship. Um, I mean, as far as the players were concerned, um, they weren't concerned with themselves because they're out on the golf course and they're able to stay away from each other. And, and you're, you know, you're out in the open, you're out in the fresh air, that kind of thing. A lot of guys weren't worried about that. What they were worried about is the support staff. Um, you know, the, the guys that are maintaining the golf course, the guy, the people that are, um, doing the infrastructure of the whole event and that kind of thing. And so that's, that's what, 
that's what the PGA Tour decided, that they're, they're not only worried for their players, they're worried for everybody and, and what's happening. And a lot of players didn't want to play be, because of that necessarily. So as we, you know, uh, a month from now, um, we could see, you know, we could see a lot of changes with what's going on with this. Um, and if that's the case, you know, if it's a, if it's a seasonal type of pandemic, when, when things start to get warmer and hotter and, and it goes away and that kind of thing, then, then it'll be a little bit easier for them and for sports to get going again. Um, you know, the, the other thing is, is that we, we haven't seen sports for, for a long period of time now, and we're not used to seeing that. And it could be that as we go along and we get, a, we get on top of everything, um, medications uh, are, are working, we could be inundated with sports in the fall of the year which would be kind of school kind of cool because everybody's going to get their fix again. So do you have any idea if players been playing and, and sharpness? Because uh, we hear that when sports comes back, we've heard that, you know, team sports are saying, depending on the sport, they need three to four to six weeks. College football coaches and ADs have been suggesting they really want 60 to 90 days. Uh, what, what do golfers need? How much are they doing right now? Well, there's there's a lot of golfers that have their own um, indoor uh, facilities or uh, simulators. I I know I've seen uh, Mike Weir practicing on a simulator. Uh, I've seen Tiger Woods, Ricky Fowler, a whole bunch of guys practicing practicing in simulators. And so uh, you know, guys can guys uh, can hit into nets. They can hit into into those simulators in their homes that type of thing that, that allows them to, to kind of keep fresh. Um, I, I know certain, some golf courses have been open, so guys have a chance to go out and, and walk a golf course and, uh, you know, physically play and that kind of thing. So it, it just, you know, it's, it's, golf is a little bit easier because it's an individual sport more than a team sport. And, um, and guys can, guys can stay active and, and do things in their homes. A lot of guys have putting greens out, out, out behind their homes, uh, synthetic putting greens or regular putting greens. Some have them in their home, inside their homes. So guys can stay, guys can, can stay relatively sharp as far as, um, as far as what's going on with their teams. How strange and funky would it be to have a tournament with no fans? Yeah. I, I think it'd be kind of really weird. Um, you know, it's it's an arena. It's um, it's an arena where normally there's fans out outside watching people that are excited about the game of golf and love watching the the tour professionals play. Uh, it would have been the same thing watching uh, March Madness with no nobody in the arena um, to to cheer on the players or, or NBA. Um, so, you know, I, I think once, once we get through this, you know, I think, I think my, my hope is that in August, um, if we're going to see major championship golf start up in August, August 6th through 9th at Harding Park, um, that we're going to see it, um, as, as we would normally see it. At least that's my, my feeling. And, and I think, um, and I'm hoping that it'll go that way. 
A lot of these guys have grown up, though, playing on empty courses. I mean, just the only time you see these crowds, even the European tour, I see yeah. you know, guys standing in tee boxes, and you see some signage around them, but, man, I, I see less than 10 people. Sometimes I don't see anybody else in the shot. So it's certainly different than a major, but majors are different than 98% of golf, it seems like. Yeah, it, it, you know, I've, I've seen events. Um, played in different parts of the world, and I played events in different parts of the world where there's just not any, there's just not anybody watching. You're playing in a tournament, and um, it's you know, you might see somebody around the 18th green or the ninth green or something like that, but they're not out on the golf course watching. So it, it would definitely be different. Um, so um, the other thing that was announced this morning is that. Um, there is a total cancellation of the Open Championship. They were thinking they were going to move it to September, um, but uh, they've come out and done a full can- cancellation on the British Open. So recap for us then, Bob. We know that you just said the British Open is being canceled, and you've referenced a couple majors. How many golf tournaments do you think will be played in the calendar year uh, that we're in 2020, and then how many majors, and then the Ryder Cup? Okay, so so as it sits right now, um, uh, again, PGA Championship, August 6th through 9th. They were thinking they were going to play the Open Championship or move it to September, but that's been canceled now. The only other time that they've had the cancellation of the British Open was during World War One and World War II. Um, and so that's that's you know we're in unprecedented unprecedented area time time frame. It looks like the U.S. Open could could then move into that September 17th through 20th date and and be played at Wingfoot. They've also toyed with the idea um, of of a couple of other options for the U.S. Open to be held later in the year, like in October. Um, and both those venues, if uh, two of those venues would be a possibility of going to Torrey Pines a year early or playing Pebble Beach like they did last which they played last year. Um, and both of those, because those, those tournament fields have normally have 156 players in them. And uh, so to get those 156 players around the golf course um, with short period of light, the days are shorter at that point in time, September, October, um, they would need to play two courses. So at Torrey Pines, you've got the north and the south course. At Pebble Beach, you've got those courses in the Monterey Peninsula. They would play those two courses um, at, at either venue. The first two rounds, make the cut, and then play, uh, you know, once they make the cut at the final, uh, at the host course. So the, that's a possibility for the U.S. Open. Ryder Cup looks like it's gonna, it's remaining on the schedule right now. That's supposed to be September 25th through 27th, at, and that's at Whistling Straits in Kohler, Wisconsin. And then, of course, um, the possibility of the Masters being uh, the 12th through the 15th of November. The cool thing about that is we'd have the Masters the 12th through the 15th of November, and then we'd have it again in April, uh, which is only three or four months away. So we'd get a double dose of the Masters uh, at the end of the year and also at the beginning of the year. Have you ever been to Augusta in November? What would the course look like? You know, um, they get they get the golf course. They do all the all the major work on the golf course and everything during the during the summer months. the The course open the course is normally open from October through May, 
So once once they're done in May, and the golf course is closed right now, there was a, I saw a great picture uh, on social media yesterday with the gate closed and, and a lock on it. Um, Augusta National is closed. There's there's nobody there playing golf or anything. So the golf course, um, they do all their work. They get everything ready. They overseed, um, the, you know, August, September, and then it will give it two months for the golf course to green up and be prepared and ready for November for the Masters. We wouldn't see a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the azaleas and a lot of the pretty flowers and stuff like that, but we'd see fall colors, which is kind of cool. We've never seen a Masters like that. But I've talked with a lot of people that have said April and October are probably the wettest months of of the year as far as um, Augusta, Golf, Augusta, Georgia. November, although it can be cooler, is one of the is is much drier than than April and October, so it could work out uh, could work out great. But that's what they're looking at towards right now. Fall colors at Augusta would be kind of cool. So the PGA was going to be moved up, and now it looks like it might in May, and it looks like it might be back uh, in yeah. August if things go according to plan. Is, was this a one time deal as far as moving it up to May, or will they move it back up to May next year? No, they they moved it up to May to be able to handle. Um, they moved it up to May to be able to handle the the Olympics every four years, um, and then the tight, tightening up of the PGA Tour schedule, that kind of thing. So they they go they go now with um, with the PGA Championship in May. Um, they have the the. Um, Players Championship in March, and then they have um, the Masters in April. Normally, the, the U.S. Open in June, and the last uh, uh, major championship of the year is normally in July, or at least it was last year, and that was the Open Championship. And then, and then um, they would have had the Olympics this year, the end of end of July, first part of August. And um, which would have been right after the Open Championship, and then they would have gone in September. They they would have ended the the current tour season with um, the playoffs and uh, the tour championship in September, and then they start right, right back up in October for the for the following year. So with now with everything being readjusted and stuff like that, as I said at the beginning, everything's all fluid now and. Um, they're trying to make sure that they, they have the ability to be able to get golf in. Um, as far as how many tournaments on the PGA Tour now, I have no idea. Uh, I think everything now is geared towards um, trying to make sure they do the, the Ryder Cup, the majors, and then get everything in place to, to try to play as many events going into the, the playoffs and the Tour Championship. All right, Bob, well, we appreciate you uh, checking in as uh, everything's evolving here over the course of a few hours, uh, a couple of days. Thanks for, uh, thanks for dropping everything for us, and we'll talk to you again. Anytime, DJ and PK. Enjoy it. There's Bob Casper. When we come back, all the headlines. What is trending's on the way?